Christmas, of course, focuses on the birth of Jesus Christ. But the story of the birth of Christ precedes that quite a bit as far as the truth behind it, why we worship the Lord in this matter of the birth of Christ. Last week we looked at the I Am, who is the Word, the one who has communicated himself. In fact, the whole concept of the I Am, Jehovah, is that God has made known himself to mankind and wants us to have a genuine relationship with him. And for that to be possible, he became the Word, and the Word became flesh, John chapter 1 we looked at last week. And so to understand the Word becoming flesh, I believe we just need to take a more detailed look at the I Am, He's virgin born. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 1 here to, today as we look at this very important subject. We talk around a lot of these things, but I just want to go directly to the truth about the virgin birth. Many of you have enjoyed and been challenged by the little devotional book, Springs in the, in the Valley and Desert, and tells of a man who found a barn where Satan uh, kept his seeds ready to be sown in the human heart. He found that the seeds uh, that uh, he used, the most dangerous one and the most numerous one was that of discouragement. It can grow anywhere and has devastating results. But when Satan was questioned, of course this is all speculative, he reluctantly admitted that there was one place in which he could never get them to thrive. Well, where would that be? He replied, in the heart of a grateful person. And folks, we're going to look at a truth that we need to never lose, the marvel of it. A pastor visited a vacant house with a friend who had just recently purchased it. And he went to visit, uh, look at the house along with the architect that had originally built it. And uh, the friend who was buying the house, who, who had bought the house, was particularly struck by the beauty of one of the rooms which he was going to turn into his study. But he objected to the cupboard that was in the corner. And uh, so he said uh, to the architect, I will have to remove it. And the architect promptly said, no, you won't remove it. He said, no, wait a second. That's not protected by a clause in the deed that I have seen. Uh, and uh, he said, you cannot do what you like with that cup, uh, cupboard. He says, why not? I own the house. And then the architect smiles and says, you cannot take away the cupboard without taking down the house. It's part of the main structure. <laughs> You cannot have Christianity without the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Everything falls. This is the tr a truth that has to be understood and held to as fervently as any truth that there is. It, it spans the whole scope of the Word of God. And that's why I feel like we need... Uh, to take the time to look at this. This is hidden within the Christmas story. It is the core truth of the Christmas story. Silent night, oh we love that song, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Those are important words. 
Both in Luke and in Matthew, they present the story and give a clear account of the virgin birth. And as you study the apostles, obviously in the revelation given by God through them, uh, and then other writings in the New Testament church, you will see that this was a core belief and accepted fully. It was treated as clear, specific history. It, uh, it uh, touches, uh, the New Testament touches perfectly and clearly upon this delicate manner. Uh, both narratives, it's been said, exhibit a profound reverence, uh, a chaste and gracious reserve in the presence of a holy mystery, a simplicity, a dignity, and self-contained nobility of expression, which are the visible marks of truth, if such there are anywhere in human writing. Some years back, many of you may remember the well-known TV host, uh, Larry King. And he made a very perceptive com comment when he was asked, who would he like to have most interviewed in past history throughout the uh, years of history? And one of the few he named was Jesus Christ. He said, well, what would you have asked him? Uh, the reporters uh, asked Mr. King. He said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, because the answer to that question would define history. <laughs> That's exactly right. It would define history. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to just read this account and then the account I've been referring to during our Christmas carol presentations. I'm going to just read them first. And then we're going to look topically at this important matter of the I am who is virgin born. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the Lord came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She was not married yet, she was truly a virgin, very clearly stated right there. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Turn over now to Matthew chapter 1. We'll look at the angel coming, Gabriel to Joseph, a few months later after it was now known that Mary was with child, his espoused bride-to-be. And what a traumatic time this was. And 
There's a great emphasis. You can preach an entire message on the faith and the obedience and the heart of Joseph. But let me just read this account from the virgin birth standpoint. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost before they came together. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin, this is Isaiah 7, 14, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and, uh, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so clearly in these two passages, unashamedly, the Bible speaks of the fact that Mary was a virgin, she had not known a man, she was not yet married, this child was of the Holy Ghost. So let's look at a definition here of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This was a birth in normal human flesh from a normal human mother who was a virgin in the strictest sense of the word. The eternal Son of God took to Himself a genuine and complete human nature and was born as a man without surrendering in any way His complete divine nature. That definition in a very succinct way covers the essence of what it is. He was truly human. He had a human mother. She was a virgin. But He was the eternal Son of God. And, uh, but He uh, took a genuine and complete human nature, but did not at all surrender His divine nature. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament very clearly prophesied that there would be a virgin birth right from the beginning. You have the creation of man, the creation of the worlds, and then the creation of man, and then you have the fall of man. And in God's dealing with Satan and Adam and Eve, you have the great first prophecy of Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And uh, that <clears throat> tremendous verse uh, is one that um, just anchors right throughout the Word of God this matter of the virgin birth. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee, that's Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Very interesting. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here we have the victory that Christ was going to win. And you say, well, where's the virgin birth? Well, Franz Delich, who is one of the top uh, Hebrew scholars of the 1800s, um, makes it very clear that the statement that is made here clearly indicates that this would be a seed of a woman, which was not the way you stated the seed of man. It was always to a man, and so this was clearly the indication of the virgin birth. 
And then we find in Isaiah 7.14 what we saw quoted by the angel in Matthew chapter 1, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And, uh, and this was the main definition of virgin there in the Old Testament is what we think of as virgin. The New Testament writers clearly accepted the pre-existence and deity of Christ. And we took time last week in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you have everything was created by Him. And then in John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Not a man and a woman, of a woman made under the law. And so wonderful truths that uh, we, you could just go on with those. But let me just get to two key points here uh, for us as we look at this matter of the I am being uh, virgin born. First of all, folks, this is the foundation for our salvation. No virgin birth, no salvation. Yeah, there's just no hope for mankind. Well, why is that? Well, let's just look at different particulars here that I trust will help you. We're going to look at Christ's humanity. You see, to be our substitute, He had to be one of us. He was the Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. This was the one that was going to be the substitute for us but He could not be our substitute if He was not one of us. So the incarnation is God truly taking on uh, human personhood in every way, His Spirit still deity, but truly becoming a man. What an amazing, what an amazing reality. And, uh, and so we've got to understand that it was absolutely necessary for him to be human. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, he, his victory was our victory because he lives, we will live, we are identified with him. Everything we have is because he is the God-man. And so he had to be human. Man had to be judged. God is a just and holy God. And uh, one could be a substitute for another. That's why he also had to be God to be able to die for all of us. But he had to be sinless. If Joseph had been his human father and God had done it another way, the depravity of Adam would have been inherited. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that how many have sinned? All have sinned. Philip Schaff, the probably the most famous of all church historians, makes this comment, It's the spotless purity 
and the sinlessness of Jesus as acknowledged by friend and foe that raises his character high upon, above the reach of all others. And so he, he had to be virgin born, but he had to be human. And so God's perfect plan was for him to be born of a woman, but without the seed of man. So therefore he did not inherit the depravity of Adam. Uh, he had to be the spotless lamb. 1 Peter 1.19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so he, to be the substitute, he had to be without himself a penalty upon him for judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, we're in desperate need of someone to take our place. Now we say it over and over. And once we've been saved for a while, I think we forget how before we were saved, how we struggled with admitting we were bad enough to need a Savior. Not until you get under conviction, and the Spirit of God does that by taking the Word of God, but not until you come under conviction of sin can you understand the need for a Savior. Christmas does not have the great joy to it until a person gets out of their self-righteousness and pride and realizes that there's no way they can face the judgment of God in and of themselves for they will be judged forever. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God does. He, he convinces us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, John chapter 16. The story is told, this is a beautiful story, um, of, of Steinberg, the artist, uh, was struck with the beauty of a gypsy girl, took her to his studio, and frequently had her sit for him. At the time, he was working on his masterpiece, Christ on the Cross. The girl used to watch him work on this painting. One day she said to him, he must have been a very, very wicked man uh, to be nailed on a cross like that. No, the painter said, on the contrary, he was a very good man, the best man that ever lived. He died for others. The little girl looked up at him and asked, did he die for you? Steinberg was not a Christian at the time, but the gypsy's girl's question pierced his heart and awakened his conscience, and he became a believer in him whose dying passion had been so well portrayed. Not until we know he died for us can we be saved. Friend, if there's any hint in your life that you think you can somehow make it on your own, you are in deep, deep trouble. I've said it many times, but God would not have done what he did if you could save yourself. For God to come to this earth and go through all he did. And folks, let me just say, if you actually saw the crucifixion of Christ, you you would have so reacted that awful things would happen. You wouldn't have been, your stomach wouldn't be able to have handled it. You would have been on your face, not in worship, if you didn't know who it was, but the crucifixion would have so troubled you. It would have, especially for us today, we couldn't handle seeing it happen. Jesus wouldn't have done that if you could save yourself or if any religion could save yourself. 
God came because he wants you to be saved and he is the only way. That's why this perfect plan of the virgin birth is so important. Christ also had to be free from the curse of Keniah. Remember the Messiah was to be the one that would rule in the kingdom, the son of David. And I often go over this, but I think uh, oftentimes we don't fully grasp the glorious reality of this. Uh, because of the wickednesses of, uh, wickedness of the kings of David's line, Jeremiah 22, 29, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Ah, Satan's hideous laugh must have gone around, uh, through the realm of the evil spirits when the curse was made by God because of the wickedness of the kings. But Satan can never win. You see, the virgin birth solved this problem. Luke's genealogy, if you study it in Luke chapter 3, you find out that Mary was a daughter of David. It was David's son Nathan whose line she came from. So she was a full-blooded daughter of David. But Nathan was not Solomon, who was, his line was the one that was under the curse. However, if you study Matthew chapter 1, proceeding where we read today, you will see that Joseph was a full-blooded uh, son of David through Solomon, which meant if the kings were ruling at the time, of, uh, at that time, which they weren't, of course, he would have been the king of Israel. That's why he went to Bethlehem, the city of David. So he had the right to the throne. And so uh, it's very important, even in you, when you see how it is stated uh, in Matthew 1, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. It even states it there. He was born of Mary, not Joseph, but the amazing thing is that Joseph did something which was very unusual in that day. He gave the full birthright to, and adopted Jesus as his full son. And so he gave him the right to the throne. Now, I want you to see this. Jesus was completely man. He had to be man. He was sinless because he was not of uh, a human father who had the sin of Adam. And he did not have the curse of Keniah uh, through Joseph because he was only born of Mary, but he was a full-blooded son of David, as the Bible clearly states. But because he was adopted fully and given the birthright of Joseph, he had the right to rule. As I've often said, there's only one person in all of history that could ever be the Messiah, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's an exciting thing. And this is the number one tool that is often used to see dear Jewish people come to Christ if they have a respect for the Word of God. It is amazing the truth that is here. And, um, and by the way, that was evidenced when Jesus was on the cross did he give the care of his mother to his brothers? In fact, the fact that he gave the care of his mother meant that he was the firstborn son, yet not 
by natural birth of Joseph. So the Bible is specific and completely accurate. And then, of course, as we've been saying, he had to be a deity. Emmanuel, God with us. Only God could die for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And the only way he could do that is, as he said in John chapter 10, uh, when he was confronting the Pharisees, he made it very clear that he was deity there in verse 30. I, bef- uh, bef- excuse me, I and my Father are one. He's part of the Trinity. He claimed to be God. John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. There it is, the I am. The Word made fl- flesh. He is the I am. John uh, uh, 10, 33 The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. (laughs) The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Christ's veracity made it very clear the scripture cannot be broken. Do you see it's the very heart of Christianity? Everything about your salvation revolves in the fact that Jesus Christ was virgin-born, the God-man. The last few moments here, I'd like to take the second point, and let's just apply it here practically today, the framework for our sanctification. Yeah, one of the great Christmas passages is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is a command for all of us. As Christ thought in coming to us, to to this world to save us is the same kind of heart that we are to have. Let me go on and read the rest of this passage. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of of the cross. He gave up everything, the free ex, uh, exercise of his uh, uh, attributes of deity, uh, all the great things that we talk about when we're looking at the attributes of God, he laid aside all of that. And my friends, when he was here on this earth, he lived 100% as a man. But he was sinless. He wasn't of the curse of Kaniah. He was able to be our substitute. But some real lessons here. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ's humility. Did he have the right to receive glory all the time? Did he have to die? No. My friends, he is worthy to be exalted. If there was anyone that could hold on to the fact that they had the right uh, to be uh, worship and then exalted it would be Jesus, but he gave it all up for us. And, and so you see that pride never does control God. He has the deepest of just open humility 
and love for all of us. He gave up everything. He left glory. He, he was in a womb. Can you imagine God for nine months in a womb at being treated as a baby because he was a baby, being uh, developed as a child because he was a child? Uh, it's, a, it's amazing. And the he, as we often talk about, was born into the most lowly situation you could ever think of in a dirty cave stable. And I've often gone into the description of that and all those phases of life. And yet, we as puny little people, as believers, we have our rights. We have our expectations. We won't lower ourselves to do certain things. We, don't, uh, we feel that uh, people ought to treat us a certain way and we're not willing to sacrifice often when God wants us to sacrifice. And here, the God of glory fully gave of himself in humility for us. And uh, we let the pride of man hold us back. God resisteth the proud. And that's written to Christians. I'm telling you, you don't want to be resisted by the Lord. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And so, as the Lord Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Hudson Taylor, explaining how God was able to use him, said, I think God was looking for a little man, little enough so that he could show himself strong through him. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. And folks, we need to understand if we want the power of Christ, if we want the life of Christ, if we really want to see God work in our life, we really need to let God deal with us about our expectations, how we think we should be treated, and things being a little bit lower than us. Though we don't want to have oftentimes those tendencies, we give in to those if we don't watch out. And it's the pride of man that God abhorreth. And then you see Christ's obedience. It's amazing here. You see, as a man, Luke 22, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, remove the cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He completely obeyed the Father's will. Remember, he was, he was fully living a human life. And his humility and then his obedience to his Father's authority and his Father's will is why he was able to accomplish perfectly our salvation. And my friends, we have God in us. And though we have a sinful nature, when we're willing to be humble and not live for ourselves, and when we will simply obey whatever the Father has told us, then God's perfect will can be accomplished. It's simple. We hear that often, but how often we, we miss it. Livingston's words have reverberated throughout the last couple of centuries when he said, I had rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. And then uh, Christ's presence. Uh, we, uh, it's God with us, Emmanuel. You know, so many times Christians, Christians 
are so caught up with themselves and not following the will of God, we do not value the fact that we've got God with us now in Christ in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Stories told of two ladies that were having a real celebration at an elaborate uh, restaurant, uh, downtown restaurant, and when they were asked, why are you having this big celebration? Well, it's my baby's first birthday. Well, where's the baby? Oh, that would mess up our luncheon if we brought the baby. <laughs> oh, we're going to celebrate Christmas, but it would mess up our life if we brought the baby along. Do you think Christ deserves everything from us? Is he not worthy? And his very presence can be the very substance of life. He has made it possible by his finished work and by the indwelling spirit. Oh, Christmas, much more to it than just a baby in a manger, folks. The babe in the manger was virgin born. God with us. And if we really believe that, then we'll be saved. But if we continue to really believe that, we will be changed. Let's bow for prayer.